Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When Diplomacy Fails presents... Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome to Hello When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome fails. to When Diplomacy Fails. A project five years in the making. The Franco-Prussian War. The Seven Years' War. Of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon. The Crimean War. To When Diplomacy Fails special on World War One Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails special on the Thirty Years' War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The 1916. To the Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails. Remastered. Okay, history friends, welcome to part two of the J. David Markham interview. How are things going? Are you enjoying yourself? I, for one, really enjoyed myself doing this, and I think that really comes across in the course of these three parts of the interview. So what is on the box here? What's in the box in this case, and why should you be listening? Well, if you're interested in those eight episodes of Napoleon that we did release in a remastered version, format kind of thing, then you've come to the right place. In this part of the interview, the following questions will be addressed, as well as some notable caveats, which, well, we just can't help ourselves, we sort of have to get into. We ask when J. David Markham first became interested in Napoleon, the misconceptions that are surrounding Napoleon even to this day, and if any in particular really bother J. David Markham, a very fun question to ask, I think, purely to hear his reaction. I also ask him if there's much to be learned about Napoleon today, and if we can in fact learn from him as a person. In other words, is he an inspiration or is he just a military hero? Let's find out. But I also ask if any books on Napoleon come to mind. What works are out there that you should really kind of track down if you want to further your own knowledge? We also ask about Napoleon's best achievement, his worst mistake, and why there is still a tendency to view Napoleon as something of a villain. So if all this sounds interesting to you guys, welcome to the second part of the interview. And remember to make sure to let me know what you thought through the usual channels, as well as track J. David Markham down. Maybe buy one of his books, or two of his books, or ten of his books. 
since he is an accomplished author and academic after all, and let him know that you really, really appreciated his guesting on this podcast. I, for one, really did, and I'm very excited to unleash the second part of the interview to you. So enjoy, guys, and happy birthday to When Diplomacy Fails. I guess to I suppose to start off this this the second part really David I mean we're going to get into Napoleon more in this section of the interview or conversation or collaboration as the kids these days call them so I think we should just start with probably the most obvious question and the one that really struck me when I heard someone yourself that is talking with as much passion about Napoleon as you did I mean you mentioned earlier on that that you first heard about Napoleon and, and France, etc., from your father coming back. But how how much more to the story is that? Where where did the interest <laughs> in the person of Napoleon come from? Well, your listeners are going to be just depressed right now because after <laughs> after leading in with we're going to stop talking about Markham and we're going to start talking about Napoleon now we're going to go back to talking about Markham again so we'll 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 see if if they you know on 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 Twitter you you, you I guess it's Twitter you you can listen to something live and you can see the 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 hearts and angers and the, the various mm. emoticon things floating along. If we could do that, we might see an, an awful lot of frowns going by. But <laughs> any, anyway, as as I said, when I was a kid, my dad told me about about Napoleon, and, and it stuck. Of course, my my interest went up and down over the years. But in 1983 or 84, after I just got married for the second time and had moved to Phoenix to, to, to work for a public labor union, we, we went to uh, Paris, and I discovered you could collect Napoleonic artifacts such as snuff boxes. I had always been a collector. I collected stamps, and I collected American political campaign items. I had over 120 of those. Wow. Uh, no, I had, I had over 120 just of JFK, you know, <laughs> quite, quite a few others, uh, most of which are gone now, so to make room for Napoleon. You know, so that, that really got me hooked on, on Napoleonic collecting, mm. and if I say – with less modesty than than I could, I suppose. I I now have what's probably a world class collection: snuff boxes, miniature paintings, bronzes, engravings, some other paintings, empire furniture, candlesticks, clocks. Wow! Know, God knows what. And I have a, a Napoleonic library of well over a thousand books, and that's after giving 500 books to uh, Florida State University when I moved to uh, Toronto. Wow. To, to get married the third time. So, you know, and then in uh, 1989, actually 88, uh, when I was living in Phoenix, a group there uh, started up uh, uh, celebrating the bicentennial of the French Revolution. Mm. And, and, and I had already been involved with the French community, with the Alliance Francaise and so on. Uh, so I got involved in that. Then I took that, the class I mentioned, got the published uh, paper published in a magazine, Military History Illustrated, it was known then. And, and that, that led to a book. And, and I've never looked back. <laughs> I've, 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 I have to say, I, sometimes I'm, you know, 
you, you have to pinch yourself, you know, or as Napoleon famously said, what a novel my life has been. <laughs> and, and, and that's not even getting into my personal life, which I could really shock you on probably. I have been given numerous awards over the years, and I'm, I'm very proud of all of them. But I, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back a little bit here, if you don't mind. I, I'm especially proud. Sure. That France, that France made me a knight of the Order of the French Academic Palms. Wow. Chevalier de l'Ordre de Palme Académique. That's their highest civilian only award, and it's second overall only to the Legion of Honor. Oh, wow. Actually, actually, I've received two French awards, each presented by a French ambassador at one of my congresses a Congress in Montreal, and a Congress in Havana. So I've had two different French ambassadors present me two different French awards. And and I, I've got to say, you know, if you'd have asked me 25 years ago when I maybe first started on this, let's say go back to 1988 you know, or so when I first got involved in this, you know, in a serious manner, or even mm. back to 83 when I started collecting a little bit, if you'd have asked me, if you'd have told me that this is where it was all going to go, I'd have laughed you out of the room. <laughs> I, I, I never, I never ever would have imagined, you know, doing what I've done, you know, be, becoming, you know, one of the the people who people in my field know about, and 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 that's uh, it's humbling to be in th- that circle. Mm. Uh, it's very gratifying, but it's also. Uh, you know, it's 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 amazing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm I never realized exactly how qualified you were, Janie Mack. That's that's brilliant. It's fantastic. Well, thank you. Well, in that in that case, you you're even more better qualified than I'd initially thought to rant about Napoleon. So that that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the word rant does seem appropriate, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> well, I suppose we could just get right into the rants. Then the thing that really stuck with me, I think, above all, was how determined you were in the Napoleon One Hundred One podcast to kind of burst through all these misconceptions that are held about Napoleon because there is a lot of misconceptions. So I guess my my question is kind of do any misconceptions in particular really bother you? Well the the the, the worst misconception in in my opinion and the one that I hate the most is that he was a ruthless warmonger, you know, crazed, you know, on 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 accumulating power and and conquering all of Europe, mm. uh, you know, it, it's much more complex than that. If you if you look at the facts, there 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 were a series of coalitions formed by other countries in Europe against French revolutionary France because they couldn't stand the French Revolution because if the people of France could overthrow the king. And my goodness, then kill the king. What would prevent the people of Austria, of Spain, mm. you know, of of, of Prussia, etc., even of England, uh, from from doing the same kind of thing? So they were determined to reinstate the Bourbons, and and they continued that determination 
even after Napoleon took power. Indeed, Louis XVIII was hoping when Napoleon took power uh, that he would then turn France back over to him. And and uh, he wrote uh, Napoleon a letter to that effect. And Napoleon wrote back, uh, uh, my cousin, you, you, you would have to go over the dead bodies of 100,000 French soldiers uh, to, uh, to, 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 to get that, uh, you know, to happen. Uh, Did he say and, no, uh, though? Yes, he said no. And he said, he, obviously, he said no. Uh, so, you know, this idea that, that Napoleon was determined to conquer, Napoleon was almost really essentially always uh, the one who, who was being threatened. He was the one whose country was was under pressure uh, from from various coalitions. So, you know, I, I think people, if they look at it from that standpoint, will will see the so-called Napoleonic Wars, a mm-hmm. term that I really do not like. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will see the wars of the coalitions in 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 a rather different light. Mm. And of course, there's there's small ones. I mean, he was not, in fact, short. Yeah, uh, he was five six roughly, which is the approximate the average height of a Frenchman back in those days. Mm. Uh, British British caricaturists love to make little bony, short and skinny, you know, <laughs> to to put him down. He also didn't go around with his hand and his vest. That was a a common pose for painters. And usually the other hand was behind the back because painters don't like painting fingers. Uh, and I've seen a, I've seen a portrait of George Washington with the same pose, and that was before Napoleon. So, mm. so uh, he, he he you you see paintings and statues of him, you know, on campaign with his hand. And, you know, I, that's that's just it's 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 not a serious uh, image breach, you know. I mean, who cares? But but. Sure. Uh, but it, but it, it, it's, it's not really the way it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'll be happy to know that I've called my eight-part series the Wars Against the French rather than the Napoleonic Wars. <laughs> well, that's much, that's much more accurate, and I appreciate, <laughs> and I do in fact appreciate that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, it, it was actually very refreshing within the Napoleon One Hundred One series to actually hear a different perspective like freely available because you have what's what's kind of like the mainstream version of history and i mean there's versions of like there's it looks different in in every kind of era of history like for example germany started the first world war and and that's that and like that's the mainstream version of history if you ask people in the street kind of who started the first world war or why why the first world war happened most people would say germany but obviously there's more to it than that so far more yes indeed so like with with the person of Napoleon, say, I've always found him a like profoundly interesting character. And I think as people always look at his battles, they always look at his military genius and the like. And I, kind, I think by doing so, they kind of miss the person of Napoleon himself. And I guess what I'm trying to get around here eventually is, do you think there's something we can learn from Napoleon? Yeah. First of all, I agree. If, if you focus only on the military aspect of Napoleon, then you, you are missing a lot. Now, mind you, it, there are people who do specialize on the military aspects of Napoleon, and, and that needs to be studied. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they, they teach his strategies and tactics at West Point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they teach it at Sandhurst, which is the, the, the British equivalent. Uh, they teach him around the world. Uh, they teach him in business and leadership classes. 
uh, his management style, if you will, uh, how he worked with people, how he organized people. He, he, he's, but you go beyond that. He, he's a, a classic rags to riches story. Mm. The, the, the relationship with his family in and of itself, you know, is, is worthy of study and in fact has been studied. His work in improving France's economy, education, environment, infrastructure, you know, you name it. Uh, they're all very important, and we can learn uh, from them, and they and they set the stage for the future. And, and his religious tolerance, his insistence and belief on religious tolerance, uh, sets the example. You know, freeing the Jews in Italy and Malta, and of course in in France. You know, his his whole perspective on 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 you know uh, uh, equality of opportunity. Uh, and every soldier's knapsack is a marshal's baton. He, yes. he very famously said, and what that means is that if you have the ability to rise, you should be given, and under his world, you will be given that opportunity to rise as high as your abilities will take you. He, liberty, equality, fraternity were the, was a slogan of the French Revolution. Well, he believed most especially in equality, uh, and, and, and he followed through on that. Sure, absolutely. And I think equality, I mean, this might come up later on, but the thing that always stuck with me from Napoleon is, I suppose, standing up for the little guy in a way, and by that I mean the Duchy of Warsaw and the efforts he made for the Poles there. And now, like, people could say, oh, he did that for strategic reasons to upset the Russians and the Prussians and the Austrians. But I think the actual Polish affinity for Napoleon to this day is still quite something. And I think what he did for Polish independence and Polish nationalism, even for that brief, unfortunately brief, brief flutter during that period of time, I think, really was. It speaks a lot to the values of the French Revolution, really. Well, I could not agree more. And and sure, you know, the Duchy of Warsaw had its strategic uh, uh, implications and, and also its drawbacks because it did piss off, you know, some of these other folks around there. And it was part of the reason for the 1812 campaign. Mm. Uh, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, the Poles loved him. The Poles believed in him. Uh, there's a famous, you know, story with Marie v- v- Valeska, of course, uh, who, you know, the, the Polish aristocracy basically encouraged to be Napoleon's mistress because they thought that might help, you know, secure his favor. And uh, he always promised a little bit more for Poland than he delivered, but he delivered more than anyone else ever had with the yeah. duchy. They, they, they believed and they believe to this day that, for example, had he been successful in 1812, Mm. that then they would have been established as a larger, fully independent country. Who knows if that would have actually happened, uh, but of course the results of 1812 made it essentially impossible for him to do more. Yes, yeah, they did. And I think unfortunately as well, almost as a side effect of that, because of the the way the Poles were so tied up in it then, it was almost as though, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was almost as though then the Poles were, were the enemy that could be stamped out, whereas in years past, Poland had kind of been gradually stamped out. Its independence had been removed, and then it was finally <coughs> partitioned partitioned into oblivion in 1795. But right. I guess, I guess like... It, it's sad in a way that the Poles almost became a, a villain of the story because of their attachment to Napoleon. I mean, obviously that's not 
factually correct. They shouldn't have been, but in the world where any ally of Napoleon, and we'll come to the issue of allies of Napoleon later on, but in the world <laughs> where the ally of Napoleon is is now someone we can step down on, it was very convenient for the British and indeed the, well, I suppose the French as well, in a way afterwards when they were trying to, in a way, expunge Napoleon from the country. But the idea that the Poles could be kind of removed and, and we didn't have to worry about Polish independence and it could be conveniently kind of stamped out, I think it's just awful. Well, you're right. I mean, you, you know, it's it's it's, it's poor Poland. Uh, yeah. You know, they throughout so much of history, they they they've been caught between big powers. You know, that's the problem. You get the Russians, the Austrians, the French, the Prussians. You know, and and here's 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 Poland. Sometimes big, sometimes small, and and you know they they get sliced and diced routinely. Uh, you know. Hopefully now for the foreseeable future, you know, while I may not like some of the current politics of Poland, I, I've been to Poland twice. I love the Poles and, mm. and had a conference there in swoops. And, and uh, you know, I, I absolutely hope that, that they continue to have great success in the European Union and, and that maybe the days of them being stomped over or sliced and diced uh, are done. But, you know, time will tell. Yeah. Time will tell. I mean, you know, who, who would have dreamt? Uh, that Brexit would have happened. Mm. Who who would have dreamt that that Trump would have happened? I, I mean, know. sometimes <laughs> you you think the world is going along at a very reasonable pace and progressing, you know, in a positive manner, and, and then suddenly, you know, monkey wrenches get thrown into the gears, and mm. will it just slow the engine down, or will it cause it to 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 break? You know, time time will tell. Yes, indeed. Time will tell. Well, I mean, the reason why I suppose my, my brain kind of switches to Poland as well is because as per, uh, I don't know if you know about Patreon or anything else like that, but it's essentially a way where people who, who create things can, can earn a small amount of money or, or a large amount of money in some cases from people that enjoy their products. So, for example, painters or, or comic book writers or people who wouldn't normally be employed, but podcasters have gotten into it as well. And when you reach certain goals, when you reach certain targets, you basically, as a podcaster or creator in any kind of sense, you say, okay, when I reach a certain amount of money every month, I'm going to do this. And one of my goals for reaching $500 a month was to essentially release a mini-series on Polish history in the 18th century, which is in a way the most depressing period of Polish history, but in a way it's also quite inspiring. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Well, good for you. Good Mm. for you. Mm. I I thought you were going to say when you reach that plateau, you would get a higher grade uh, craft beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. I think I'll certainly be drinking to the to the goal when I eventually make it. But yeah, it's it's very exciting to think of 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 periods of history like that that I, I'm really looking forward to cover. Excellent. Well, I think I would really like to ask as well, and I suppose I mean there's a danger that this could become. <laughs> All about J. David Markham. But in a way, that's okay. But at the same time, I mean, we, we've gone through your impressive works already. So I guess when I ask you the question, if any kind of good books on Napoleon come to mind, perhaps I say maybe maybe uh, name yours and then name ones other than your own as well. How about that? <laughs> well, I mean, 
first of all, any any book by that that J. David Markham fellow, of course, is uh, is is uh, to be highly recommended. Mm. Uh, there's there's a flaw in 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 Napoleon for Dummies. Uh, overall, I think it's a very very good book and and uh, one that if it's if you're only going to read one book on Napoleon, you're only going to read one book, and you, you don't want to read an 800 page book. I tell you, yeah, read read Napoleon for Dummies. If you want to read one book to see if you will become interested in reading more, I would say the same thing. Uh, the other books, and I've got simply Napoleon coming out, which would be a sort of a similar kind of thing, not not in the dummy style, but a, sure. a basic a basic biography that I'm writing with a friend. Otherwise. For a general biography, Andrew Roberts uh, has a book out relatively recently, which is quite good, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I, I recommend it. Beyond that, I'll tell you, the hon- honestly, uh, it depends on your interest and, 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 and I suppose on your language. So I'm dealing really only with the English language. If you read French well, then you get into some of the French historians like Thierry Lenz, who's written some outstanding books on Napoleon in uh, and, and, and French. Uh, he works with the Fondation Napoleonian. Uh, in English, you know, if your interest is in the Peninsular Campaign or the Waterloo Campaign. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mm. There's lots of of very good British uh, authors out there, uh, some of which I I, I know well. Uh, If you are interested in uh, some of the military campaigns, there are books on specific campaigns. There are books on specific battles. There's books on the relationship. For example, Mike Legere has one out on Blucher. It's a great big thick book, extremely well researched. Oh. Uh, uh, so if you if you want to uh, uh, learn about uh, Blucher, you know that's the one to go to. A little side story about that, by the way. My 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 wife Edna is about three quarters Prussian, so I always joke 
that uh, I had a DNA testing done to make sure she was not related to to Blucher. Uh, <laughs> although, the in all honesty, it would be kind of cool if she were related yeah. to to yes, to, to Blucher. And uh, yeah, she orders me around like Blucher. I don't know. It's it's, it's hard hard to figure. The irony is. I told that story to a very interesting gentleman uh, that I met at the conference last year in Dublin, mm-hmm. uh, and he got a good laugh out of it. And that interesting gentleman is the current Prince Blucher, the direct descendant of Marshall Blucher. Wow. And a really, really a fascinating character, uh, wonderful. He, we're having a conference in Germany, but he and, and he lives in Switzerland, but he's not going to be able to make it, unfortunately. Uh, but just a delightful fellow. He's kind of into Zen Buddhism and stuff like that, apparently. A uh, really friendly guy, and uh, he he thought it was pretty cool that that I had a, a essentially a Prussian a Prussian wife that I was <laughs> worried about being related to his his great ancestor. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've had I've had good luck that way. I've i i met Prince Napoleon and Princess Napoleon. Uh, these are all descendants of of the Bonaparte family. Mm. Napoleon never had a, a quote unquote legitimate child that procreated. He only had the one son, the King of Rome, who died at age twenty one. But he did have a son with his mistress Marie Valeska. His Polish mistress. That's right. Uh, I've been to the ruins of the place, you know, where 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 they were shacking up and so forth. And it's, it's quite interesting. And I had a chance a number of years ago to meet the direct descendant of Marie Valeska, Prince Valeska, uh, Count Valeska, Bleski. Sorry, it's it's E for men. And we 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 were in Poland together, and we went to where his mother uh, or grandmother, whatever she great grandmother was, was buried. Uh, with me, his mother, obviously. He, he and I became good friends, and he was saying he, I was his new best friend, etc. Two weeks after I left him, he died. Aww. Uh, which was just a damn shame because he was a cool guy, and how cool it, would it be to have as one of your good friends a direct descendant of, of Napoleon Bonaparte? Oh, you know? we could have we got him on the podcast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, his, his English was, was flawless. You know, he's, he was a French businessman and a and, uh, uh, really, really nice guy. Oh. He, had a, he had a brother, but I never, I never knew his brother. Oh well, we I must track him down. That'd be interesting. Yeah. All right, yeah. We we've been kind of talking around Napoleon as this kind of. I mean, would it be correct? Do you think to call him a visionary? I think it would. Oh, of course he was. And, yeah. and by the way, if we don't get to enough Napoleon, you can always have me back on sometime. <laughs> I'd love to. Yes, very much so. Look, really, for me, I would just like to know if you had to summarize. All of the good stuff he did, I'd say, what what would you think would be his best achievement? Well, that's a tough one because he, he did so many things. I mean, he established the Bank of France, which is, of course, still around today. He he overhauled the educational system, and much of that is still around today. Mm. Uh, he centralized it, made it much better. He, 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 he did a number of things, but I guess if I had to pick one, I would probably pick the Code Civil, the the civil code uh, of France, which is still the basis of French civil law. It 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 brought together and unified French civil law from what had been an incredible hodgepodge of laws and and royal declarations and local you know, proclamations and this that and the other thing, you know, incorporated into that 
much of his belief in the equality of opportunity. Uh, and it's still the basis of French civil law uh, and other places in Europe. And also the American state of Louisiana still uses the civil code. Wow. Uh, and and uh, you know, are are you know a derivative thereof? And I'm sure it's not the exactly the original, but it's 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 based on Napoleon's civil code. And as an American, admittedly living in Canada now, but but as an American, I might say that the Louisiana Purchase uh, was another of his best accomplishments. It, That's right. It, it made made him some money, and it eased our eased the way for our growth and into greatness in our mm. western expansion. We you know now one, one can argue probably successfully, that eventually that territory would almost all have become part of America anyway. Uh, but this made it so much easier. Mm. Uh, take Lewis and Clark, for example. If, if, if we did not own the Louisiana territories when, when Lewis and Clark did their thing, they would have been trespassing on French property for a great <laughs> deal, for, a, for a great deal of their time. And uh, as it was, they were able to legitimately be in the United States of America for an awful lot of their trek westward. Mm, yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, I suppose I don't want to bring it on a downer now, but I I kind of like then on on the other side of things to ask what what you think his worst mistake was. Well, it's interesting because if you asked a hundred people that especially on the street but i would say even you know general general historians yeah. they'd, they'd probably say russia 1812 mm. they'd say oh my goodness if he hadn't invaded russia hadn't lost all those people on the retreat although he actually lost more people going into the heat and lost more horses going into the heat you know think of how much more success he would have had and and certainly if he had it to do over again, maybe he wouldn't. But I have always argued that he didn't have any real choice. And besides, uh, the, the 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 Tsar Alexander of Russia was going to invade him if he didn't if he didn't go and and invade Russia. And he wanted yeah. he wanted to take the campaign and fight on their t- territory and not on Polish and French territory. So since I've told you what I don't think it is, <laughs> I I would say the Peninsular Campaign. Yeah, in my view, that was completely unnecessary. Uh, it was all basically about enforcing the continental system, mm-hmm. uh, and you know the, the 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 British were 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 coming in, and 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 he needed to boot the British out in, in his mind. I would have just fortified the Pyrenees as best I could. You know, it's not that easy to get through the Pyrenees. There aren't that many passes. You can fortify the passes. You can you can you know cut off the smuggling trade as best you can. Mm-hmm. You're never going to cut off all the smuggling trade. My goodness, Josephine was smuggling stuff from Great Britain. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, but but you could cut it down. You know, the 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 continental system actually was having an impact on Great Britain, a negative impact. It was also hurting France. You know, it was it was it was like like any kind of a trade war. You might say it doesn't mm. do any, doesn't do anyone any good. Uh, if he had not have done that, you wouldn't have had the uprisings. You you you, you maybe you could still have a, a, a Joseph on the throne. Who knows? But but uh, and maybe and maybe not. You know, maybe none of that mattered. The the British would not have been invading France from the south. Sure. Uh, and if they did, 
and you had fortified the the Pyrenees passes and so forth and not lost so many troops in in Spain and Portugal, you know, France would have been a lot more secure. That also would have allowed Napoleon to be much stronger and have his best marshals and troops available, you know, uh, on the Eastern Front when yet another coalition, you know, comes in. Yeah. Uh, in 1808 nine. So, so, uh, I think if you, if, if you had one thing that I could tell him, you know, in terms of campaigns to do over again, as in don't do it again, uh, <laughs> I, I would say it was the peninsular campaign. Now I have a lot of good friends, uh, who are British historians mm. and I, I respect them all greatly. And I'm afraid they will not be happy with me because a lot of them have made their livelihood <laughs> writing about the Peninsula campaign. Yeah, that's so true. If, yeah. If you're if you're a British historian, you're very very happy that there was a Peninsula campaign, mm. and and of course if you're Wellington, you're yes. very you're very very happy there was a Peninsula campaign because of course that's where he really made made his name as 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 well uh, yeah. along with India. Uh, so and I'm saying this in jest, you know, to 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 tease to tease my British friends, but uh, <laughs> you know, you know, and and to carry a step further, without without that campaign, Napoleon might never have lost in 1814, and there would not have been a Waterloo, and now these British historians would be out of a job completely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, and there might have uh, been more heirs of Napoleon to actually meet in the end. There you go. There you yeah. go. Lee. Oh, they would have they would have found something to write about. Historians can always find something to write about. <laughs> That's and, true. And again, they're they're a really good group of guys. I I I I really enjoy them, and I've started to get some of them coming. I think a lot of them wonder whether or not you know they'd be all that welcome at, at a conference dedicated to Napoleonic study mm. by people who honestly tend to be relatively pro napoleon and i think the first one they really came to out well they they were some of them in brussels and, and, and in dublin and and they found that yeah we we like hearing their point of view and we enjoy their company so i i hope they'll keep uh, keep coming to our conferences because it really does add needed perspective of course uh, when you're listening to papers for for several days in a week you know you 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 you, you want to hear different points of view Sure. It's, it's, it's not a Napoleon love fest. I mean, <laughs> if, if somebody gets up and starts saying Napoleon and Hitler were identical, I'll, I'll, I'll not be happy. But other than something super extreme like that, which mm. is ridiculous on its face, you know, if they want to say, talk about, you know, where they thought Napoleon went wrong and so forth, that's, that's fine. That's, that's a perspective that we all need to hear. Yes, indeed, and and I mean, you were saying there, looking at it from looking at it from the other side, and just to, to drop this surprise on you, I mean, from the other side of things as well. Do you think the Allies made some great howlers? I think the one that really stuck with me as a giant mistake was Prussia's random declaration of war when there was French troops. I think was it eighteen oh six or eighteen oh seven, and Prussia was basically all alone. And well, exactly, he. he- he 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 didn't get in when he should have, and he got in when he shouldn't have. Yes, uh, and 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 certainly, I would say that that was uh, that was a, a big mistake. Uh, I, I think that Tsar Alexander made a big mistake in in not going along with the 
with the continental system at least a little bit better than he than than, than he did. Uh, he he was under pressure from family. He was under pressure uh, from his his nobility, business people, and so on. But I think he should have really tried to find a way to keep the spirit of Tilsit alive. Mm. The family of the Tsar may have made a, a big mistake when, when they declined Napoleon's offer to marry uh, his sister. Uh, that would have maybe given them a familial bond that would have you know, made, made things a, a lot better. Didn't work out real well with Austria, although no. it, did, it, yeah. it did for a while. I mean, mm. Austria was a, somewhat of an ally, although they... They were conspicuously uh, non-aggressive in certain situations. They, they could have been, but but uh, it certainly had some advantage with Austria. And, and I think that that, that, that the, the Russians should have jumped at the because this was when Napoleon was at his peak. You know, mm. they, they they should have. This was eighteen ten. You know, they should have they should have jumped at the opportunity to 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 have that tie uh to to napoleon and between the, they they were the two biggest powers uh in in europe and mm. everybody else everybody else would have been sandwiched between them just like after tilsit everybody else was sandwiched between them yeah. you know i think it have kept kept you know that that whole thing going uh, history might might be really quite different uh, as as well oh, yeah uh, so you know those those the, the prussians and the russians uh, I would say probably made the the, the single biggest uh, mistakes. Mm, mm, yeah. I, I also think that the the, the peasants of uh, of uh, Spain uh, in refusing to support uh, you know Prince Joseph also made a mistake. Uh, but but they were very conservative. This wasn't so mm. much anti-French as it was anti-French uh, uh, religious tolerance and. And Napoleon had ended the Inquisition, and these were very conservative Catholics. Yeah, uh, but ironically, they were writing uh, in favor of 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 a Protestant army that was coming under their soil. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, go. At least the French were Catholic, so go. Yeah, figure. I know, I know. Well, we mentioned there about maybe, maybe, maybe Napoleon was just too early. Like maybe he just came too early for Spanish sensibilities. I mean, we can we can talk about that in a little bit, but. I think for me, I'd like to just know it. In your opinion, why do you think there's still a kind of a tendency to view Napoleon as something of a villain? Do you think? Do you think maybe it's just because we like to have a villain in a story, and he's kind of convenient because he tended to win an awful lot? Or do you think it's just that case where, like the the, the victors write history kind of thing? Well, it's 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 you know check check all of the above uh, mm. to a large extent. I think. Having said all these nice things about my my modern British historians, <laughs> I, I will go back further in history and say that until relatively recently, most English speaking people got their image of Napoleon from 19th century and 20th century British writers mm. who, who, as they do today, uh, tend to have uh, a decidedly less positive view of Napoleon. And for a long, long time, especially before uh, American historians got involved, uh, most English language books – that weren't translations of French works that were actually originally done in English, mm -hmm. tended not to be necessarily favorable uh, toward the emperor. That's changed somewhat now. 
uh, there are people who, who British writers who who are, are to use Fox News is a ridiculous slogan, fair and balanced. Uh, you know, unlike Fox, they actually do try to be fair and balanced, and I applaud them for it. There's still some. Uh, I've got a book that I'm going to be reviewing by Charles Esdale, who's an outstanding uh, uh, writer, a British historian, uh, one of the one of the very best, but. Let's just say it's uh, not a real favorable toward Napoleon. So there's so there's still some of that, but that's okay because there's books out there that are very favorable toward Napoleon as well. A lot of them tend to be written by either French or or, or especially American uh, writers. Americans tend to see Napoleon in a far more uh, positive light. That's true. Yeah. But he's but it's, it's as you as you suggest. He's also seen rightfully. As a very successful military leader who conquered a lot of territory, installed his family on various thrones and so on, and in our modern world, uh, uh, especially uh, in uh, the United States and Canada and, and, and uh, so on, we tend to kind of look down on that. We, we, we don't think – you know, conquering a continent is a good thing. Mm. Uh, and maybe in part that's because um, the, 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 the Germans and Austrians did it twice in the 20th century and didn't work out so well. And, and, and so we, we just sort of lump all this together, conquers Europe, bad. You know, there, there's a lot of things that blend into that. He may have been a little early for his time. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, something along that line a little bit later, but you know, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really hard to say, but I think, I think the, the, the two things that I say, the, 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 the earlier British historians and, and some contemporary, and just the fact that, that we're skeptical of the, of major military force and, mm. and, 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 and taking over, you know, the better part of a continent. Yeah. Uh, we, ironically, we don't feel that way about the Roman Empire. We celebrate the Roman Empire. At least a lot of folks do. We say, ah, the glory that was Rome. Now you yeah. dig into that, and it wasn't always so glorious either. There were, there were down, you know, real shortcomings to that. But, but uh, you know, I, I'm, the, the image of Rome is in, in the Western world is, is very popular, but the image uh, of the 19th and 20th century wars and, 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 and empires are, are decidedly less popular. Very, very true, yeah. I'm like, well, let, let's get into that you mentioned there. Do you think that in his victories, with like pushing forward his ideas with the Code Napoleon and everything else, do you think he pushed Europe too far with his victories and with his ideas and everything else? Or do you think that at that stage, no matter who would come along, do you think Europe just wasn't ready for someone like Napoleon? Well, I, I don't think that people were really ready for someone like Napoleon. Although it's hard to say, it's hard to say who, who, when would they be ready, and what other kind of personality could have accomplished the things that he did because he he did a lot of things. But I'll I'll give you a, a, a good example of where Europe wasn't ready and wouldn't be ready for a very long time, uh, and that's religious tolerance. Europe has a long history of not having religious. 
tolerance. Think of the Huguenot Wars and so forth and so on, uh, the the Hundred Years, uh, the religious wars. You know, all the time. You know, the the conflict. Uh, you know, b- between uh, Islam and Christianity, the time of Charlemagne and, and other times. You know, you 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 have this long history, and of course. Anti-Semitism, you know, having Jews live in Jewish ghettos. They didn't always have to wear the Star of David. In some some case, like Italy, they did, but they were, you know, frozen out of certain professions, and so on. And Napoleon, again, with his belief in equality, said no. You know, he went to Italy and said, "Take off those stars of David. No longer do you have to live in ghettos. You can have any profession you want to. Oh, by the way." Feel free to build a synagogue now, and he yeah. did the same. He did the same kind of thing in France and elsewhere in Malta. He was there in 1798. Now, mind you, he's only a general. Mm. People, a lot of times, people forget this is not Napoleon trying to conquer Egypt. This is Napoleon the general being sent by people who, frankly, sort of hope he is killed while he's there. You know, think Talleyrand. He, he's one week in Malta. He takes over the 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 the, the, the island. He boots the knights. Templar out, gives them all pensions and sends them off to Europe. He organizes a new constitution. He frees the Jews and and tells them they should now feel free to build a synagogue, which they hadn't. The new constitution, new educational system, all in one week. He does more in a week than than most people would have done if they ran the thing for a year. A week. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's one one lousy week. You know that shows you the kind of. <laughs> the kind of person he was and, and, and how progressive he was. And then when he's, he's, in, he's in Egypt, he's trying to promote uh, religious tolerance uh, as well. So that's, that's way ahead of your time. Mm. That's, you know, no, no. And, and, and even his own family. Remember, he had Cardinal Fesch, mm-hmm. you know, who, who was decidedly not in favor of freeing the Jews. He had other uh, people, brothers, you know, urging him not to go so fast and at one point they actually got him to to sort of retreat a little bit but then but then he 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 moved back toward where he was he authorized and and supported the great sanhedrin of 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 1808 and and uh and so on so uh you know that's that's a kind of activity that most people in europe didn't really see coming Alrighty, that was pretty fun, wasn't it? I enjoyed myself immensely there, guys, and I really enjoyed shooting the breeze on Napoleon. But we're not finished yet. There's a third and final part to this interview. So if you like to complete the picture, if you like your stories complete, if you like your interviews all in one bunch, the third part is out right now for your listening pleasure, and it kind of rounds off all the corners. That doesn't really make sense, but it kind of completes everything that's left to say on Napoleon, and it gives us a good conclusion to our remastered effort at Napoleon Bonaparte. The man, the figure, the legend, the inspirational hero in some cases, but also the enigma. So I hope you'll stick around and listen to the third part of this interview. Thanks very much for listening, guys, and I'll see you all very soon. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.